0: I'm Ken Bear, one of the pastors at Celebrate Seniors, a Ministry of Faith Dialogue. Today we're going to continue our examination of the Book of Acts. It's in a sermon series that we call Unstoppable. Uh, we call it Unstoppable because in this Book of Acts we see that the Church truly, with the power of the Holy Spirit, was unstoppable. Today we'll be reading from chapter 3, the entire chapter. And and I've added a subtitle to this sermon, you'll see at the bottom there of the screen, and it's called, A Lame Excuse for a Sermon. So today we'll be looking at the Apostle Peter. Uh, And and what follows is is an amazing miracle. In in the scripture today, Peter and John are going up to the temple, it's about 3 o'clock in the afternoon to pray, and they come across a certain man that was lame. Listen as The apostle Luke writes in the book of Acts in chapter 3 beginning in verse 1. Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go in the temple, asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, Stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now, as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. This miracle uh, that we see here in the third chapter is either recorded at, or at least hinted at earlier in the second chapter, where it says in verse 43, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And note that it's Peter and John that were together. You know, Jesus had sent out the 70 uh, together, and they were to go out two by two and Peter and John had either seen that and thought it was a a good model for them or they just enjoyed each other's company. You know, but it wasn't just Peter and John. We see this often in the Book of Acts. We saw Paul and Silas and also Barnabas and John, John Mark, that went out two by two. Now these two men, Peter and John, had a had a great friendship. You know, if you remember, they had started in the fishing business together uh, and Jesus had called the two and said that they were going to be fishers of men. Now, Uh, Along with the Apostle James, these two were part of the the inner circle of Jesus and they were there and they were privileged to to see some of the things that the other Apostles uh, didn't get a chance to see. For example, they were there on the Mount of Transfiguration uh, when they saw Jesus transfigured in front of their eyes along with Moses and Elijah. Now the scripture says they were headed up to the temple and it was the ninth hour. Now, in Jewish reckoning, that's about three o'clock in the afternoon. Now, the three, at 3 p.m. there was a prayer service. It was actually the third prayer service at the temple. Uh, what amazing commitment that these Jewish uh, believers had in being able to get to the temple and to be able to praise God and pray three times a day. You know, some find it strange that in the early church for a considerable time, the believers in Jesus would still continue to go to the temple. Uh, They went there not only for prayer, but also for fellowship, and as we see today, they also went because it was an opportunity to to preach. Long before the temple was destroyed in 70 AD, uh, a persecution broke out against the Christians, uh, the people that were at the time called the Followers of the Way a name that was used for the church before they were called Christians. And after that the followers of Jesus likely stayed away from the temple in Jerusalem. However it's recorded that Paul in particular enjoyed going to the synagogues, to the gathering of the Jewish people wherever he went throughout the the Roman Empire. And again he would do this not only for fellowship and prayer but also to to preach. For actually, the first hundred years Christianity was considered a a sect of, Jeru- of, of Judaism which actually really benefited the church because, in the Roman Empire, Judaism was considered an established religion. It was one of the approved non-pagan religions, and Christianity, being a sect of Judaism, actually protected it from from persecution. So let's pick up the story where it addresses the the lame man, and that's in verse 2. It says, And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily, daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, to ask alms for those that entered the temple. You know, I want you to take the time and let this text kind of settle in. Just settle into your spirit. Don't be in such a rush to pass by this this amazing miracle. We'll find out in the next chapter that this man that had been lame for, for 40 years, and likely the majority of his life, this was his process that his friends and his family would gather him up and carry him to the, to the gates of the temple and lay him there so that he could ask for charity. The scripture calls him a, a certain lame man. It, it doesn't give him a name. Uh, but Luke says it was a certain lame man, meaning that he was a, a real person. He had a personality. He was, he was actually a person. They knew exactly who he was. Uh, but he had been lame from his mother's womb. But yet, he has no name, at least in the Scriptures. Later it says, regarding this nameless lame guy, that many recognized him. Verse 10 says that they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. So they recognized him because every day they saw this nameless lame guy, every day. He was there Monday through Sunday. Somebody would bring him down and they would pass by nameless lame guy. This nameless, lame guy asked for alms, likely by calling out the word alms. Uh, But he had no name as far as they knew. Um, Now, we know that he actually had his name. His mother and father knew who he was. They gave him a name when he was born. But for the purpose of this story, and actually for much of our life, when we see people like this on the street, we may see them every day, but they go nameless. You know, the people that saw him every day would drop a couple of copper coins onto his, onto his begging mat, nap, uh, on a, a begging blanket. Uh, they saw him daily, but they really didn't know his name. Uh, that may not mean much to you, but if you've known somebody that's been lame, if you have a, a physical condition, um, you'll relate. You know, the, the word lame kind of snuck into the English language from the German. Uh, the la- the the word, actually, the the history of the word, it actually means weak or broken. You'll likely know people like this. Mo- more likely, you recognize them. You've seen them before, but you, you still don't know their name. You know, many years ago, I used to travel to New York, to the Financial District, which you know as Wall Street. And I would go there a couple times a month. And every time I would go down to the Wall Street area, there was a certain woman that sat on a on a on a small little red chair and she had a a cup a dented cup sometimes it was silver sometimes it was plastic sometimes it was a a ceramic cup but she was there almost every time that i went by her and you know there's a couple of times that i gave her a couple of coins into her 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 little cup as well now, I never knew her name. Now, I don't have any reason to believe that she was unable to walk. I never saw her walk, but I, I had no reason to believe that she was carried like nameless lame guy uh, you know, to, to Wall Street every day. She was probably able to walk. I don't know what her um, l- lameness was about. I don't know exactly why she was begging. It could have been drugs. But here's the point, is that often when we talk about somebody that's lame, it's not a physical condition, it's a... It's a spiritual condition, and you see, if you really saw people for who they were, even if you didn't know their name, you'd understand they have a, a spiritual condition that is, that is weak, that's weak, it's hampered, it's, it's broken. If we really saw, like Peter saw, we'd understand that there was something that we could offer them, maybe not silver or gold, but something we could offer them. I know I'm giving this one line of scripture a lot more time than I normally would, but I'm struck by the thought that he was, he was lame. He was unable to walk, unable to provide for himself. All he could do was, was beg. You know, his friends had to carry him back and forth, back and forth. This is, a, this is a horrible condition. Did you know that at the time of Jesus, and in fact in many cultures to this day, if you're lame, if you're blind, if you have leprosy, if there's some kind of uh, a sickness that has overcome you, and th- often people think it's because God is judging you, God is, God is punishing you. Uh, the apostles thought, saw that when they saw the man, the man that was born blind. They said, uh, why is the man born blind, Jesus? Is it because of he sinned or the sins of his parents? But, you know, Solomon clears this up for us. Uh, the Solomon, the Bible calls him the wisest of all time, says this in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 11, he says, The race is not to the swift, or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise, or wealth to the brilliant, or favor to the learned, but time and chance happen to them all. And that's Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 11. You know, God is sovereign, but as sovereign, he allows time and chance to, to happen. So, Nameless Lame Guy may be lame by chance, but God is going to intervene in a, in a miraculous way. And we'll see that this is not as much about healing as it is about the glory of God. So, let's continue. Peter and John are, are walking by, and this time the Nameless Lame Guy catches Peter's attention. He asks them for alms, and this time Peter stops and looks at the Nameless Lame Guy. He thinks he's going to get some money, but Peter gives him something better. Peter says, silver and gold I do not have. Don't you love that? Silver and gold. Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Get up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. You know, scholars that opine about this big gate called Beautiful tell us that the gate and the stairs, it was actually two flights of stairs going into the temple, uh, were built by, by Herod. Uh, it has a number of names, including the Corinthian gate, because it was made of, of, of bronze, Corinthian bronze. However, then the gate and the stairwell were famous because they were covered uh, with gold and silver leaf. It was a a beautiful gate, and particularly known for the silver and gold. Now, Peter and John tell this nameless lame guy something special. They say, silver and gold I do not have. You notice, mostly at that time, the, the nameless lame guy was a little disappointed. But then notice, Peter tells them that what he does have, he gives to them. And Peter reaches down and grabs him by the right hand, and he lifts him up. You know, Luke is the author of the Acts of the Apostles and adds his medical commentary in the next line. He says, immediately his feet and his ankle bones received strength. I think it's obvious that Peter just didn't, just didn't happen to be walking by this nameless, lame guy and decided at the, at the very last moment that he was going to try something that he had never done before. No, the at the face of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came down and they filled all of those that were present, 120, including all 12 of the apostles. And they were given wisdom and knowledge and power and faith and healings and tongues. These are the gifts of the Holy Spirit that Peter and the rest of the apostles had. You know, I, I'm blessed with, with good health. And, and as I read this, it says that he stood and walked and entered the temple with them, leaping and praising God. You know if you've ever been immobilized for a period of time you know what a miracle that is like i said i've been i've been blessed with good health for a long time but there was a time when i when i fell on some ice in michigan now here's the thing in michigan there's always ice in, in michigan we say there's two seasons we have we have winter and the fourth of july weekend you know so so there's ice often anyway i i slipped on the ice and i and i broke my ankle and I walked around with a cast on my leg for about six, seven weeks. And after the doctor took it off, after I was healed, I had very little strength in my leg, very little strength in my ankle. I wasn't up for leaping and walking and praising God for, for a long time. Now, now, some have asked, what was the purpose of this miracle? They questioned it because the man didn't even ask to be healed. He, he didn't demonstrate any faith in Jesus Christ, but yet he was healed. But you see, we have to remember the the primary reason for miracles. Uh, reason number one, God, is, God does everything for his glory. And number two, miracles point to the power of God. The last few verses in this first section says that when all the people saw him walking and praising God and they recognized that it was him, they were filled with wonder and amazement. Peter and John got their attention with the help of the Holy Spirit so that caught got us through the miracle and halfway through my message today remember the message is called is called a lame excuse for a sermon so let's go on picking it up in verse 11 now as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John all the people ran together to them in the porch which is called Solomon's greatly amazed So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at us, as though by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate, when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just, and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. He killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Verse 17. Yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But those things which God foretold by the mouth of his prophets, that the Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the time of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets since the world began. For Moses truly said to the fathers, the, God, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear all things, whatever he says to you. And it shall be that every soul who will not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Yes and all the prophets from Samuel and those who follow, as many have spoken, have also foretold these days. You are sons of the prophets, and the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. To you first God, having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from your iniquities. You know, in my, my old church, if somebody got healed, uh, it was testimony time. Uh, the pastor would bring them up on stage and allow, for example, nameless lame guy to talk a little bit and tell, him, tell the congregation what God had done for them. Uh, Peter, however, has a, a better idea. He immediately takes the opportunity to correct and then teach. You know, the role of the pastor is, is multifaceted. Most people know that preaching is a part, but also is teaching, correcting, And shepherding. Each is a gift that is enabled by the Holy Spirit. Peter starts off with a a little correction. He says, Men of Israel, why do you look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness we have made this man walk? You know, this is not a, a sermon on healing. However, I can tell you that it's unfortunate today that many times when there's a healing, people look to the evangelist or they look to the preacher uh, the missionary that was present, as, as if there's some godliness in them, there's special power in them that enabled the healing to occur. Uh, you know, perhaps these, these people are so close to God that, that God does miraculous things through them. Peter, however, had spent time with Jesus and knew that it was all about Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, Peter couldn't walk on water without Jesus' help, and he knew he couldn't heal anybody without him as well next we'll see that peter connects with the audience we see this often in the book of acts peter was uniquely called to the jews just as saul and we'll meet saul in a couple chapters who is later named paul as saul or paul is called to the gentiles peter connects with the jewish audience he says the god of abraham isaac and jacob the god of our fathers glorified his servant jesus now this is peter's second in as many chapters, second sermon as many chapters. And Peter sticks with what worked the first time. He tells them that Jesus was delivered up. He mentions Pilate, he tells them that they killed the Prince of Peace, that God raised from the dead, and he says that we are witnesses. Also notice that Peter adds some details to the sermon. He says Jesus is the Messiah, that he was rejected, tried by Pilate and crucified, but he reveals something new in this sermon. He says something that, that they, they hadn't fully embraced, that they really didn't know at the time. Peter told them that the execution of Jesus was part of God's eternal plan. It wasn't just an accident. When Peter told them to repent, this time he introduces the very well-known concept or teaching attached to the Messianic prophecy. He says that there'll be a time of, of refreshing. He says, repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Uh, This refreshing is connected to the time of the Messiah. The Jewish people knew exactly what Peter was talking about when he said the time of refreshing. There were prophecies that the Messiah would fulfill literally what uh, Elijah had said in the 62nd chapter. It says, Israel will be restored. Jesus will set free the captives and they'll comfort the mourning. The world will honor the Jews or the people of Israel. Peter is, in essence, is is encouraging the Jews to turn to Jesus, embrace him as the Messiah, and actually get ready for his second coming. You know, today we looked forward to that as well, to the second coming when Jesus returns for the church as well as for the people of Israel. The book of Isaiah, as well as the book of Revelation, two prophecies about 800 years apart, speak very clearly of a millennial kingdom where Jesus literally reigns over Israel. In verse 19, the same verse that Peter tells them to repent, he adds the words that their sins would be blotted out. You know, this is another messianic concept that would be familiar to the Jews. It's a a forgiveness that's not attached to the Levitical priesthood or the sacrifices going on in the temple. But it's tied to the time and refreshing of the Messiah. Isaiah said, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. You know, Peter then warns these Jewish listeners of the dangers of rejecting Jesus. In verse 22, he says, For Moses truly said to his fathers, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. Him you shall hear. Whatever he says to you, you do it. And, I, and every soul who will not hear the prophet, listen to this, shall be utterly destroyed from the people. You know, the Jewish people of Peter's day were aware of this prophecy of Moses, but many of them didn't understand that there was a there was a the same person the prophet and the messiah were the same they thought they were two different people but peter corrects them and then he uses very harsh language even for peter he says that those that are rejected will be utterly destroyed now i I looked up this verse and and looked at the 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 greek words that were using it and it's exactly translated as it said they were they would be utterly destroyed they would be wiped out in fact the greek word that's used here is the same word that we get the english word exterminated exterminated you know it, it is very well be that could be that peter was not only speaking by the by the um, unction of the holy spirit getting words from the holy spirit but he possibly remembered what jesus had said as well remember when jesus was asked about the temple this is what it says in Luke 19. It says, as he, Jesus, that's Jesus, approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. And he said, if you, even you, had only known to this day what would bring you peace, but it's now been hidden from your eyes. And then Jesus goes on, and he says, the days will come when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side they will dash you to the ground you and your children with your walls they will not leave one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of god's coming to you you know in in 70 a.d the roman general titus who would later become titus flavius caesar emperor of rome began a siege a few days before passover And then he surrounded the city with three legions. Three legions were stationed in a circle around Jerusalem. The Jewish people were encircled and and many died from starvation. Then as Jesus had prophesied, the Roman army built an embankment, crashed through the gates and burned down Herod's temple. And it was burned down, history records, on August 29th, AD 70, the exact same day the Babylonians had destroyed Solomon's temple nearly seven hundred years earlier. Now, a Roman legion could contain as many as eleven hundred fighting Roman soldiers. According to Josephus, the Jewish historian, uh, over one million Jews were killed in the siege of Jerusalem. As Jesus said, not one stone was left on another because they did not recognize the time of the Messiah. You know, in Rome, the Arch of Titus stands today depicting both the victorious Roman soldiers but also Jewish captives in chains and Roman soldiers carrying along what looks like a, a menorah, a candlestick on their shoulders. Here's a picture of the Arch of Titus. It was constructed in AD 81 by Emperor Domitian sor- shortly after the death of his older brother Titus. And it was, it was dedicated to commemorate Titus's victory over the Jewish rebels. It is said that the Arc de Triomphe in Paris is patterned after this Arch of Titus. Here's another picture showing the golden candlesticks, the menorah, as the main focus. Some of the other sacred objects depicted being carried in this triumphal procession are the gold trumpets, the fire for removing the ashes from the altar, and the table of showbread. Now here's the third picture. It shows Titus riding a four-horse chariot and shows him being crowned and the goddess Roma standing in front holding the bridle of one of the horses. The two figures to the right of the chariot are supposedly representations of the people of Rome and the Senate, especially the man clothed in the toga. You know, it's, it's fascinating, and according to historians, nearly all of the Jews that were not killed in the siege of Jerusalem were were scattered into what we know as the great diaspora, the scattering of the Jews. However, many Christians were spared uh, the prophecies of Jesus were well known to the, to the early Christians. Jesus had said, when you see Jerusalem being surrounded uh, by these armies, you'll know that the destruction is near. And let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those that are in the city get out. And let those in the country not enter the city. Uh, the early Christian scholar of the 3rd century, Eusebius, in his work, The History of the Church, wrote this. He says, the whole body, however, the church at Jerusalem, having been given, commanded by a divine revelation, he's probably speaking of the scriptures, given to men of approved piety there before the war, removed themselves from the city and dwelt at a certain town beyond the Jordan called Pella. Uh, The Bible scholar Adam Clark in the 18th century wrote, it is very remarkable that not a single Christian perished in the destruction of Jerusalem. You know, for those of you that have attended some of my teachings, particularly when we talk about prophecy, uh, we teach that there will be, again, another opportunity for the Jews in Israel to escape, to escape during the time of the the Antichrist. Halfway through a seven-year period called the Tribulation, the Antichrist will defile the temple, declare that he is God, and to be worshipped. And and the people of Israel, the Bible says, will fly into the wilderness and be protected for a period of three and a half years. According to the 12th chapter of Revelation, it says that they'll be protected for time and times and half a time. Time is one year, times is two, and half a time is another half. A total of three and a half years. Now back to Peter's sermon. We started this message today and we said the topic was a lame excuse for a sermon. So allow me to summarize our message today. The nameless, lame guy at the beautiful gate wanted money. He had been lame, unable to walk since birth. But God gave him something much greater. Uh, This was true for all of the Jewish people. When the Jews saw the nameless, lame guy leaping, they were excited and ran to hear to Peter, to hear what had happened. But Peter told them that it wasn't his doing. It was all about the name of the Lord Jesus, who was their Messiah that they had persecuted and killed. They had looked for the Messiah, but they had, they had missed it. Uh, they had looked for a Messiah that could free them from the oppression of the Romans, but God wanted to give them something much greater, a Messiah that could blot out their iniquities. Peter closes his sermon with these words, And God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning everyone um, of yours from your wickedness. Aren't you glad that Jesus came? You know, Jesus had so much more for the Jews as well as for us than what the Jews were looking for in the Messiah. Aren't you glad that in Jesus Christ we have the promise of, uh, of refreshing? That Jesus is able to forgive us of all of our sin? To blot out the handwriting on the wall that is against us, to give us a, a hope and a future. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to be able to get together like this, to be able to study your word. And we do. You've been listening to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of faith dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org.